What is that glorious free gift of salvation that will be our theme uh, this morning? Uh, open with me now to Paul's epistle to the Galatians, Galatians chapter 2. Uh, This morning, we're actually going to only look at two verses. I know I have verses 15 through 18 printed in the bulletin. Uh, Since printing the bulletin, uh, we've uh, decided to only preach on the first two of these four verses. So our text today is Galatians 2 and verses uh, 15 and 16. Uh, Next week, Lord willing, we will look from verse 17 down through the end of the chapter. I remind you of where we are in Galatians. Galatians is a, a book all about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in uh, these first couple of chapters, Paul has defended his own uh, apostolic authority, that the gospel that he preaches is not from him. It wasn't uh, devised by him, uh, but rather it was given to him by revelation of Jesus Christ. Last week, we saw a particular encounter that Paul had with the Apostle Peter at Antioch uh, when Peter was not living out all the implications of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, and instead was drawing back from fellowship with the Gentiles. Well, today, we're going to see the gospel issue that stands behind uh, the church's unity. Indeed, in our verses today, are one of the most beautiful, succinct descriptions of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ that we have anywhere uh, in the Bible. And so we look forward to looking at these things uh, today. Let me just say one other thing by way of introduction before we uh, read today's passage. That is to say that uh, in recent years, there has been a kind of new uh, theological movement that I believe is Uh, terribly wrong-headed, but it's picked up a lot of traction and has gained a number of adherents. It's something called the New Perspective on Paul. And in particular, uh, that New Perspective on Paul impacts the way that many have read the book of Galatians. Uh, In my own mind, as we're preaching through the book of Galatians, I've tried to think, how do I address that uh, in the course of this series of of sermons? What I've decided to do is actually next week, during our Sunday school hour, uh, we are going to address this particular movement and have a reply, a response to it, and see what I believe the older uh, understanding of the Reformers, the Puritans, and faithful evangelical Christians for many years, that their reading of the book of Galatians was uh, the correct one. And so anyway, come uh, next week during our adult Sunday school hour, uh, and that is what we're going to be looking at as it were diving a little bit deeper uh, into some of the interpretive issues that surround the book of Galatians. Uh, so what I'm going to give you today is what I believe is the proper, correct interpretation of these uh, verses of Galatians. Again, come next week during Sunday school uh, to hear a different take, but then as well our response to that different take Uh, on these verses in the book of Galatians. Well, with that, by way of introduction, let's now hear God's word. We're in Galatians chapter 2 and verses 15 and uh, 16. Uh, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, 
but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. This ends this reading in God's Word. Let's uh, look to the Lord uh, in prayer. Lord, our God in heaven, we thank you for your life-giving word. Lord, in a world of confusion and of lies, where the messages that are sounded are uncertain and often not true, how good it is to come to the fount of living waters, to hear from the lips of our sovereign God and King these amazing words of gospel truth. Lord, the devil is continually at work seeking to snatch the good seed that is sown. Lord, if he is continually at work, how much more so today when we have in the short compass of these two verses such beautiful gospel truth. Lord, grant that you would give us attentive minds and receptive hearts in this hour, Lord, that that seed would be planted and would be fruitful indeed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. Many of you are familiar with uh, uh, the now decades-old game show, uh, Family Feud. Well, if we had an episode of Family Feud here this morning and brought uh, somebody, we just grabbed somebody off the street, brought them up, and we said, well, we have now surveyed 100 people. The top five answers are on the board. Today's question, what is mankind's greatest need? Immediately that person is on the spot and they have to give an answer. I wonder what somebody might answer. Top five survey answers to what is mankind's greatest need. Well, one person might say, well, it is that we'd have plenty of food and clean water. Survey says, ding, 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 comes up. I don't know what number. It made the top five, though. Somebody else says, well, world peace. That's what's needed. Ding, ding, ding. Again, the answer comes up. Somebody else says, well, people need a sense of psychological well-being. That's their greatest need. Somebody else Mankind's greatest need is to be loved. Well, each of these things appear, maybe, survey says, and they appear on the board. And, you know, each one of these things certainly are needs that people have. These needs come about, uh, well, on the one hand, because we are created lovingly by a God who has made us in His image. And these are Needs that are often not met because we live in a world that is a fallen and broken because of the curse. And so all of these things we've mentioned are real needs that mankind has. But they're not our greatest need. What is mankind's greatest need? Now you understand it might not make the board in Family Feud because most people don't recognize it as our greatest need. 
you were to be asked that question, what is mankind's greatest need? Indeed, what is your greatest need? The answer needs to be this. It is that you would be in a right relationship with your God. That is mankind's greatest need. And that's really what the Apostle Paul is addressing in these verses before us. He sees Jews and Gentiles in this congregation at Galatia. He says, no matter whether you are a Jew or whether you are a Gentile, you have one great need. And it is a great need that is met in only one way. That is... Your need is to be made right with God. And that need is met only through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's what I want to open up for us today. In these two verses, uh, we're going to see three different things. First of all, we're going to see our great need, justification. We're going to focus on that word, justification. What does that mean? So our great need, justification. Then secondly, we're going to see the way that you won't be justified. Paul says it several times in these couple of verses. You will not be justified by the works of the law. And then thirdly, we are going to see the only way to be justified, which is in, by faith in Jesus Christ. So our great need, the need of justification, Secondly, the way that you won't be justified by works of the law. Thirdly, the only way to be justified, faith in Jesus Christ. Well, first of all, let's consider our great need. It is the need of justification. And this is what Paul addresses now in the book of Galatians. In fact, this is not the last time that we're going to see the word justification. It's the first time now in the book of Galatians that it is mentioned, but it's going to be a word that is mentioned several times uh, throughout the book. In fact, justification is Paul's great theme in the book of Galatians. And that word to justify is a word that means to declare just or to declare righteous. It's a kind of courtroom term. So if you were to picture with me for a moment a courtroom, there you have a judge and you have a defendant and the judge announces the verdict. And the verdict is going to be one of two things. Either that defendant is guilty as charged or he is shown to be innocent. Guilty or innocent, condemned or declared to be righteous. And that's the imagery here. It's the imagery of the judge of all earth, the living God, who is making a declaration about each and every person that lives. Either you are guilty in his sight and under his just condemnation, or the judge declares you to be righteous and in a right relation with him. You see, the judge himself, God, is a righteous God. 
to be in a right relationship with this righteous God, to enjoy His fellowship, the sweetness of His presence, you yourself need to be declared righteous. And so the topic of justification is just this. Are you one who is condemned or are you one who is declared to be righteous by the living God? And this says your greatest need today, whether you're here and you're young or you're old, whether you are Jew or Gentile or whatever your ethnic background or nationality, no matter where you come from, no matter what level of education you have, no matter what occupation you do, no matter what life experience you have. You know, maybe I've never even met you before, but I can say this with absolute certainty that your greatest need is to be justified. That is to be declared righteous by God himself. That is your greatest need. Now, to many people in this world, we can kind of go back to that illustration of family feud. The average person asking, well, what is mankind's greatest need? If you were to say, if you say to that person, your greatest need is to be justified by the God of this universe. There are many people who will think, you know, that seems rather obtuse, kind of distant. That's rather removed from everyday life. That's not the kind of thing that concerns me on a day today, uh, in my day-to-day affairs. And perhaps even there are some of you who kind of feel that way uh, today. Is this question really that important? Is this just kind of theology? It's not the stuff of everyday life. Am I declared righteous by by God? Well, let let me just ask a few questions to try to lead you to that point where you might see just how important this question is. You know, does all this talk of justification matter at all? Well, let me ask a series of questions. Let me ask you, first of all, isn't there something in you that says, you know, this world that we live in isn't right? That people, wherever we go, that people act in ways that are harmful and selfish and wrong. You know, if you feel that way, you're right. The Bible calls that something. The Bible says that that problem is sin. Well, then let me ask you another question. Well, doesn't it seem that, that what is wrong with the world, all those things that you see that seem to be wrong with the world, Isn't it the case that what is wrong out there actually finds its root in here? That is, in your own heart, you find those same tendencies that all the other people in this world are doing. You answer yes. Well, the reason is because the Bible says that you yourself, not just the people out there, but you yourself are a sinner. Well, let me just ask another question. Well, and isn't it the case that as you go about in this world, don't you feel at times a kind of sense of alienation in this world? That things, again, are broken. That you feel alienated from other people. At times, you even sort of feel alienated from yourself and, and your purpose in this world. 
Again, if you answer yes to that question, well, the Bible says that's the kind of alienation that sin brings. It's the alienation, the brokenness that sin brings. Well, then if that is true, if people have hearts that aren't right, if I have a heart that's not right, and if I feel alienated, does it not make sense that the reason that I am this way is because these are symptoms of what my greatest problem is, that I have been actually made by a God for a real purpose in this world. I have been made to know Him and to have fellowship with Him. And that it is actually this God, He is the one from whom I am alienated. That He is a righteous one and that the problem is my sinful heart and that my most desperate need in all of the world is that I then would be declared righteous by this holy God and have fellowship with Him restored. And you see, when you begin to think about it that way, you realize just how fundamental of a question this is. Are you declared righteous by this holy God? Uh, You see, many people don't take that trail of asking those questions all the way to to that most important question at the end. That there is a God. I have a sinful heart. My greatest need is that I would know this God and be declared righteous by Him. But it is that fundamental point that Paul brings us to here in Galatians chapter 2. He confronts us with what our greatest need is that we would be justified in the sight of this God. So that's our greatest need. But now, secondly... I want us to consider the way that you won't be justified. For if being justified, that is declared righteous by this God and having fellowship restored with Him, if that's our greatest need, well, how am I then to be justified? And our text tells us the way not to be justified. It is not, it says, by works of the law. You see, three different times, actually, in the course of one verse, he tells us it is not by the works of the law of the law. The first time is a kind of a general statement. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law. And then he makes a kind of more personal statement about himself. Paul says, uh, I also, we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. When it comes to me, I am to be justified not by works of the law. And then, after the general statement and the personal statement, he then makes a universal statement, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. I think Paul's making a point here. You think the Lord's making a point for you and for me. We cannot be justified before this God by the works of the law. Well, then you ask, well, what are the works of the law? What's that talking about? Well, the word law uh, in the Bible is a broad word, has a variety of different meanings, but, but here it clearly refers to the sum total of God's commandments. And in particular, the law that he gave through Moses. You see, in, under the Old Covenant, uh, 
God revealed the Ten Commandments to Moses. And those Ten Commandments reflect God's unchanging moral standard for all of humanity. But then in addition to that moral law, God also uh, gave to Moses various civil laws that govern the life of Israel, and then also ceremonial laws that centered in the tabernacle and sacrifices and priesthood and holy days, which pointed uh, to the way of salvation. And there were also laws, things like circumcision and food and cleanliness laws, which marked out Israel as a distinct people. And the law had been given by God. The law itself is holy and good and true. It was the righteous standard of a holy God. It was to be obeyed. But here Paul says, by doing these works of the law, that is by fulfilling the terms of this law, no person can be justified. Well, why is that? Why not? Well, for Gentiles, the reason is obvious. They neither knew this law nor practiced it. And in fact, in verse 15, Paul uses the, the common term that Jews used of Gentiles. He calls them Gentile sinners. These Gentiles didn't receive Moses' law. They didn't know Moses' law. They didn't practice Moses' law, even though in Romans it says deep down they did know that there is a God who has a righteous standard, a moral law that is written on our hearts, and yet they, the Gentiles, still rebelled against it. So Gentiles are not saved by the doing of the works of the law. But, and this is the kicker here, neither can the Jews be saved by doing the works of the law. You see, that's his point here. Verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth. Here he pulls out all of his own Jewish pedigree. And yet he is saying, even I who am a Jew by birth am not justified by the works of the law. Now the law was a kind of a badge of honor among devout Jews. It was a matter of pride. They, they committed themselves uh, to doing the law. Do you remember what Paul said about himself in Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 4 through 6? He says, I have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. You want to talk about a total commitment, an outward commitment to keeping all of the particulars of this law. I was blameless in that. And yet, Paul makes the point in Philippians, and certainly he makes the point here in Galatians as well, that this law could not make me righteous. Why is it? Because no matter how hard Paul or the rest of the Jews or anybody else tried to keep the law, they could not keep it entirely. The law exposed their sin. They have wicked hearts, and God's standard of righteousness in all of its particulars is not kept. And the law, when we seek to keep it, 
brings back this verdict to us time and time again, we are guilty, guilty, guilty in the sight of God. We cannot be declared righteous before God because of our own works. And the problem isn't with the law, the problem is with us. So, dear friends, let's apply this a little bit. If guilty is that verdict that is brought against everybody who seeks to find favor by keeping God's law, even as these Jews who sought to keep God's law, the verdict comes back as guilty. If that is the case, then surely guilty is the verdict against anyone who tries to find favor with God by any of their own works. The Muslim who seeks to pray to Mecca devotedly, who knows the Koran inside and out, who seeks to be devoted to their God. Dear friends, not only are they worshiping a false God, but the Muslim is in a kind of bondage trying to earn favor with this God by his or her own works. Or the Jew, who seeks to keep all the kosher laws, who goes to the synagogue uh, regularly, doesn't break Sabbath, does, uh, memorizes the Torah and re- repeats it over and over again, and seeking to, to be right with God by the keeping of the law, Paul says, you cannot be. You are in bondage. You are not justified in this way. What about the the Westerner who who tries to simply be a good person? You know, I make it my aim to be to be nice to everyone that I meet, not to cheat anybody or swindle, not to murder, to give lots of my money away to charity, to volunteer my time, to be tolerant of others, to to serve the community. Certainly, if there is a God, He's going to accept me because of the things that I do. And Paul says, no, not by works of the law, not by any works. Can we be justified in the sight of this God? Or maybe you are simply a, a child and you're growing up in a Christian home. And it's a wonderful thing to grow up in a Christian home. But maybe you think, well, if I just do everything that my parents say, if I'm good, If I go to church and I read my Bible, then because I'm a good person, well, God's going to accept me then. That's what God wants ultimately. The Bible again says, no, it is not by our own works that we are justified in the sight of God. Over all of these works, that verdict is still written that you are guilty, guilty in God's sight. Because what the law calls for is a hard obedience that we have not always rendered. It calls for an obedience that is exactly according to the standards of God's law, and that we have not given. And dear friends, even if we decided from this moment on, we're going to keep the law and keep it perfectly, which we can't do, Even our perfect law-keeping from here on out is unable to atone for that past sin. 
Oh, dear friends, it is not by living a righteous life that any of us are able to be made right with God. Why do I say all of this? Well, I say all of this because to say to you that the very first step to being right with God is to realize the awful sinfulness of your own heart. That the first step to being right with God is to recognize that you are at heart not a good person, not a law keeper, but that you are dreadfully sinful and that there is something wrong with your heart. And you need to feel that and to lament that and to be stripped of all pride and self-righteousness and to feel your desperate need of God's mercy and of the Savior that He provides. Augustus Toplady's hymn says, Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know, even could my tears forever flow, Even all of that for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. So not one of us will ever be justified by the keeping of the law. Well, this moves us then thirdly and finally to this point. What is then the only way to be justified? And this passage makes it clear. The only way to be justified is through faith in Jesus Christ. Through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, God's law is the abiding standard of righteousness. God's law must be kept if we are to be accounted righteous. The law demands full obedience to its precepts. The law demands a penalty when it is transgressed. So if you or I cannot keep this perfect law of God, what is it that we need? We need a Savior who does it for us a substitute. And who can that substitute be who can perfectly keep the law of God in all of its particulars and suffer the law's penalty that you and I deserve? Well, it is none other than our precious, glorious Savior, the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And so that is why, dear friends, that to be justified is not simply that we are justified, we are not justified by our doing of the works, and we're not even simply justified by our faith, but rather we are justified by a faith that lays hold of Jesus Christ, the one who has done the work for us. You see, he gave to, he offered to God that perfect righteousness. He died on our behalf that sacrificial death. And so for all who belong to Jesus Christ, there is 
what we would call a kind of double imputation. His righteousness becomes ours. Our sin laid upon Him. And by that great exchange, we are then counted righteous in the sight of God because of the provision of God's provision of this of this glorious Savior. And so we see a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in who? In Jesus Christ. It's we who have believed in Christ Jesus. We have been justified, it says, by faith in Christ. It is in Jesus Christ alone, as we sing, that our hope is to be found. And how do we receive Christ? Well, it tells us we receive Christ through faith, through faith alone. There's some dispute about how to uh, translate uh, the phrase that we find in verse 16. Is Do we translate this, uh, but uh, that, that we are justified through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ or through faith in Jesus Christ? And actually, either one of those speaks truth. It is because of Christ's faithfulness that we are saved. But I think the better translation there is a translation, faith in Christ. And in fact, that's clearly what is expressed later in the verse when it talks about uh, we who have believed in Christ Jesus, we are justified uh, by, uh, by faith. And so, dear friends, it is this idea that it is pointing to three different times in this single verse. It is by faith alone in Christ Jesus that we are saved. Well, why faith? Why is faith the way that we receive Christ? Well, it is because faith is passive. Faith receives Christ. Faith rests upon God's promise. Faith does not contribute anything of its own but it receives what has been done for it. So again, to quote Top Lady's hymn, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. You see what faith is? Faith is a clinging to the cross. It is a looking to the Lord. It is a coming to Him for our heavenly dress. Foul I to the fountain fly. And we say, wash me, Savior, or I die. And so, it is not that our faith plus our works make us acceptable with God. It's not even that, well, we have to believe when we first come to Jesus, but then... After that, our works make us acceptable to God. No, dear friends. Rather, at the moment that we are first converted, and dear friends, on that final day of judgment, it is the same on both days that the only reason that we are accepted before Almighty God is because of what Jesus Christ has done in my place. It's all about the work of Jesus. Dear friends, when we come and make profession of our faith, as Nate did today, that's what we say. We say it is because of what Jesus has done for me. I'm saved not because of my own work, not my own labors, not the things that I have done, 
but rather it's because I have such a glorious Savior. And by His grace, I am looking to Him alone. It is all of Christ. And so can I exhort any here today that are, that are unbelievers, can I exhort you who are young people who have grown up in this church, can I exhort any of you to say to this to you today, your greatest need is that you, not just your parents, not just your friends, but that you would be justified, declared righteous in the sight of the God of heaven. And the only way to be declared righteous in the sight of this God is by placing all of your faith in Jesus Christ. It is to recognize that you are a sinner and you bring nothing and that Christ has done it all. And so you are then to look to Him, to rest in Him, to come to Jesus Christ. That is, can I just say, that's the greatest desire that we have for any of you. That, that's the point of all of this. It's that you would come to know Jesus. We don't want you simply to, simply to, to grow up in, in, in church and know all the right things to say and when to stand and when to sit and how to open your Bibles and all. That's all good. Those are good things. But why do we do all of that? It's so that you will come to place your faith in Jesus Christ. You will have heart dealings yourself with the Savior of sinners. And you will say, I cannot save myself. It's not by my own works. But it's all of Jesus. And I trust in Him. That's our desire. for Oh, that you would come to be justified through faith in Jesus Christ. And what happens what happens when we are justified through faith in Jesus Christ? Wonderful things happen. <laughs> this gospel truth then, dear friends, is the foundation of a life that is then to be lived to God's glory. Let me just mention four different things. What happens then when we are justified by faith? Well, it's out of that that then flows, first of all, Christian unity and love. Why were there these divisions, Gentile and Jew, in the Galatian church? Why did Peter pull away from the Gentiles? All the things that we looked at last week, it was because he had not fully apprehended, not fully understood, not fully grasped this glorious doctrine of justification. And dear friends, when we realize that I am saved in the same way that everybody else is saved. Together we are but sinners at the foot of the cross. It keeps me from trying to always measure myself against everybody else and compete against everybody else and figure out where do I stand and position myself compared to everyone else. Dear friends, we're all sinners saved by grace. And that frees you to love one another in the same way that God has loved us. See, grasping justification by faith in Christ leads to Christian unity and love. What's the second thing that it leads to? It leads to a wonderful assurance of the love of God. A wonderful assurance of the love of God. 
to see if my standing with the Lord depends on Christ's work and not mine, I know that his work does not fail. And there are some of you who struggle with feelings of disappointment and feelings of guilt. And your life hasn't turned out the way that you thought it would. And you realize your own failings. And, and it, sometimes it's, you just go from one day to the next just miserable, just bemoaning your own failings. Well, dear friends, we ought to, we ought to grieve our own sin, yes. But we don't stay there. We lament our sin and we say, oh, but I'm so thankful for Jesus. Look at what he did for me. And it gives me assurance, assurance wonderful assurance of, of his love. That even though I'm a great sinner, he continues yet again today to be a great savior for me. And he loves me with an everlasting love. It leads to assurance, true assurance. But the third thing that justification leads to, it leads to peace and joy. It leads to peace, and it leads to joy. You know, even today, you are a child of God. You are loved. And you know, one of the most important things that you have to do today is to simply rest in that love of God for you. It's not always to be doing but it's to be resting. It's not to be worrying, but first of all, to be enjoying what God is for you. Do you see what I'm saying? That one of the most important things that we have every day is to begin with that knowledge. The Lord has loved me and he's given Jesus for me and I'm a child of God. And that gives us peace. And that gives us joy. And then from that, we seek to go out and to live the Christian life. But we begin there. I'm accepted. Not on the basis of what I've done, because I've fouled up again. I'm a sinner. I'm accepted on the basis of what Jesus has done. Do you rest in that? Do you begin every day resting in his love for you? Peace and joy that comes from our justification. But then the fourth thing that flows out of our justification is this. It is, out of this then, we do receive power for Christian living. The real power to live lives for God's glory comes not when we are by our works trying to earn the favor of God. That's our mentality we're going to find our hearts full of despair. But the real power for Christian living comes when it is the joyful response to a God who has already done everything for me. And so we trust in Him. And filled with His Spirit then, we are enabled to live for His glory. But it always is, it's because of what Jesus has done. I now have the privilege of living for Him. Is that where you start in your Christian life? This glorious, glorious truth of our justification, our right standing with God, not by our own works, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Might the Lord help us to grasp this. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this truth that we are justified not by the works of the law, 
For we know our own hearts and that they are sinful. And Lord, that if the gospel were simply a matter of do, 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 we would be filled with despair. But we thank you for that glorious message of the gospel that it has all been done for us by our loving Savior. And we pray, O Lord our God, that we would rest in Jesus Christ alone. Even today, that we would know the peace and the joy that come from being found in him. We pray all of this.